Welcome to Fruit Bowl, an oral history of queer sex. Masculine tops, power bottoms, butch girls, femboys, bears, otters, unicorns. There's no shortage of labels that queer people use to describe different sexual identities and preferences. But how do we navigate that horny, thorny path between realizing we're queer and deciding which boxes to check when filling out our dating profiles? Fruit Bowl features first-person stories that explore the unique ways we develop our sexual identities by sharing the sometimes messy, always fascinating, real-life sex histories of queer people. Our first introduction to sex, the embarrassing moments we'd like to forget, and the reliable bedroom moves that we've discovered along the way. Basically, all the stuff we wish we'd known when we first came out. Interviews are edited for clarity and brevity because we all know how much we love to talk about ourselves. Thanks for listening. Let's begin. Greetings and welcome to Fruit Bowl, an oral history of queer sex. I'm the host and creator of Fruit Bowl, Dave, and with me today I have Tom. Hello. Hi, Tom. Tom is not only a subject of my documentary series, Fruit Bowl, but I was also a co-producer of the series with me. And I feel like we're both still learning a lot. Um, and it's definitely in the beginning stages, given that we're currently inside my walk-in closet and uh, sharing a shotgun mic. I've described my closet in previous episodes, but it's not roomy by any means, but at least two bears can fit into it. <laughs> well, and that's sort of three things right there uh, that this podcast is really about. Um, uh, our beginnings, uh, closets, and how many bears we can fit inside of us. Um, <laughs> yes, so. that is very on theme. So oh. I feel less uh, insecure about my closet <laughs> recording studio. <laughs> uh, it's been a really eye-opening process to listen to so many of these interviews and hear so much about people's sexual discovery. Uh, I have totally forgotten what I have said in my own interview, so I'm about to listen to myself for what's the first time since I spoke those words. Uh, so I'm nervous, but hearing other people's has made me less nervous. We're all, we're all in this sexual wilderness together. There's no right or wrong way to figure out sex, and that's been pretty cool to understand. And just so listeners know, um, Tom's interview that he's describing was recorded last summer, in the summer of uh, 2018, for a project I was working on. And we're going to listen to it first today. And then uh, when we come back, we'll talk a little bit about Tom. And then we're going to listen to my interview that I gave myself um, for the same project. So it's a double whammy today of self-filating podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no promises. I've never been able to self-filate myself. But... <laughs> and so let's not waste any more time and listen to Tom's interview. Here we go. My name is Tom. I'm 37 years old. Uh, I've lived in Seattle, Washington for 20 years. I've been, uh, I grew up in Alaska before that. I kind of remember the like first real like dawning of sexual awareness uh, being like, uh, HBO's Real Sex, uh, catching that on like after my parents had gone to bed and I'd turn the TV back on and watch it from midnight, hiding in the stairwell. Um, that was really when like sex as a as a like a concept that I was interested in 
really formed. I think everything before that was just kind of like, you know, tiddling each other behind the, the woodshed or fiddling around, like just understanding what's down there. But yeah. Yeah, I remember being like completely fascinated by this the first episode of Real Sex when it aired on HBO. So I remember being, I think, 12 years old and going to the restroom at Fred Meyer in Anchorage and uh, going into the first stall and there was a dude on his knees jerking off in the second stall. Uh, and, you know, kind of wondering what's going on. I stick my head under to take a look and it was just like, whoa, okay, like immediately you know, ran out of the bathroom as fast as I could, just like mortified by the idea of of what I just seen, but then just like pulsing with with like intense, not quite regret, but like intense desire to have known more, basically. Uh, uh, and I started exploring uh, bathrooms after that, basically looking for uh, ways to see dick or ways to get dick because it had black mirrored tiles. So you realize that you could be looking down and see into the next stall. So that was why that particular gentleman had been taking advantage of that. Um, perhaps the person before had just left, so he was still on his knees working away at it. I found Alaska to be kind of a perfect cruising environment for a blossoming teenager. The Diamond Mall uh, was not far from my house, and I spent a lot of time there. Um, my mom liked to go to jazzercise class there every week, so she'd ask me if I wanted to go to the mall. And uh, for a long time, the answer was no. You know, uh, Then I found the cruisy bathroom on the second floor. Um, uh, hidden away and kind of like in between uh, an under construction part of the mall, an office tower part of the mall, like a part that didn't really have stores. There was the Army and the Navy recruiters there. Uh, I remember because the Navy recruiter had a huge dick. Um, but so it had uh, not so much a glory hole, but a peephole and then a large uh, uh, handicap stall. So eventually you would like figure out if they were interested and join them in their stall. Uh, and as a, as a fairly hairy teenager, I looked at least, you know, passably of age, uh, even though I wasn't anywhere near it. <laughs> uh, maybe the age of consent was 16 in Alaska, but I don't know. I wasn't paying attention. Um, uh, but I wasn't 16 yet. <laughs> That's for sure. Uh, so I spent a number of years doing that. Uh, and then uh, realizing that before I was 18, I could get into most of the adult bookstores around the city. Um, that they just didn't care. Um, so yeah, it was uh, fun exploring the glory holes of the adult bookstores of Anchorage, Alaska. Um, it was a lot of, of chubby married dudes in sweaters that weren't seeing it at home. So, uh, or were, were gay and just were out getting it, but were totally in the closet. Um, so it was sort of paradise, it was heaven, because it wasn't really freaky. There, you know, it, it wasn't uh, a bareback romp fest like you would find at a bathhouse. Uh, Anchorage certainly didn't have a bathhouse. I found that I really liked uh, bathrooms where there were like just really good ways of seeing dick too. Like uh, my dad liked to go to the VFW hall to eat for cheap and drink for cheaper. Um, uh, and uh, they had removed, you know, a handicapped handrail in one of the stalls in the bathroom. Uh, and there was, you know, perfect holes to watch right into the urinal basically. So, oops, man, I get a tummy ache every time we go here, Dad. I spend forever in the bathroom here. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> but it was just 
perfect for like staring at dad dick. Um, not necessarily my own, but <laughs> all the other <laughs> middle aged guys there doing the same thing. Glad I never got my ass kicked doing that. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Why didn't they just cover it up? Yeah. Because I think that they would not either. Either somebody would assume somebody would look, or somebody would assume nobody would ever look. So it's either naivete or attention. You know, one of the two. So I turned eighteen and moved to Seattle and went to the twenty five cent arcade, which is now the Hard Rock Cafe. So that that twenty five cent arcade upstairs, while actually a functioning arcade, did have glory holes and and sex booths in the back. And um, I remember the first time I went, uh, this dude bust into my video booth, bent over, and said, "Stick it in dry," as he like uh, snorted a big line of or a big thing of meth off of his hand. And so uh, that scared the shit out of me. Uh, <laughs> it was definitely not the way Anchorage worked. Um, <laughs> so I was kind of scared out of cruising here in Seattle for a long time. Uh, you know, there's always places where you're like, hmm, this bathroom seems interesting and you hang out long enough and sure enough it is. But uh, uh, it was freaky enough to have like, you know, this crazy drugged out person like, uh, you know, try and get me to, to, to jam my dry dick up their asshole. Uh, so yeah, I, I basically stopped when I was a teenager and then I met somebody uh kind of right away so that that like that that uh restroom cruising glory hole period of my life was like really short but intense um and all while i was basically like right up to about 19. Um, like i moved here at 18 in the middle like uh, six months before my birthday so like yeah it was uh kind of came to an end right about then so it was like yeah, i was just barely old enough <laughs> i should be doing that when i stopped I was on the internet very young. Uh, I had dial-up internet service to the World Wide Web in 92. Uh, so it was definitely exploring the early years of the internet. Uh, from 12 and 13 on, uh, uh, I was searching the internet for porn already and trying to figure out what I could get my hands on and then what I was into. Like it was that, it, it wasn't in my immediate thought that just because I liked seeing penises on real sex that I was that I was gay. Like it took, you know, more than than one or two penises to, to figure that out. So I, I would look specifically for sex pictures because I liked seeing penises involved. And then it evolved like, well, I like. I like seeing older guys having sex with these girls. And then I was like, no, I just really like looking at the older guys. <laughs> uh, and I was both having like, you know, uh, access to the internet, at least reasonably for what you could see on the internet and tiny little uh, movie files back then. Uh, uh, and then, you know, just whatever we could get our hands on otherwise. We'd always, we like, my friends and I love to consume whatever illicit porn we could steal from somebody's dad or somebody's brother, you know, whether it was Playgirls or Playboys. And um, uh, one of our friend's mom did have Playgirls. Those are always the ones that I secretly enjoyed the most. Um, but it really didn't dawn on me uh, until later, like, oh yeah, no, I'm, I'm into this because this is all dicks. Yep, got it. Um, uh, I just thought I enjoyed looking at them just as much as the others, but no, no, it was definitely the dicks. Um, I would print out uh, pictures uh, on my dot matrix or, you know, a really shitty black and white 1993 printer 
uh, and hide them in my desk. <laughs> and uh, I would I would masturbate to those and I would show the ones with girls to my friends. But of course, always has like, you know, this hot dude jackhammer away at the girl. I'd be like, look what I found on the Internet. Uh, and then my mom would invariably find those uh, and I would get in trouble. Uh, and then at some point, uh, on a trip down to Seattle, uh, I think, what was it called? Beyond the Closet Books on, uh, Pine Street, I think it was, maybe Pike Street, maybe? Yeah, my mom, uh, would let me go to, to Broadway on my own for a little while, and then, you know, I would sneak over and buy them, um, uh, so I had a collection in my desk back home, and I, that definitely was not found before I moved out, thankfully. I came out to my mom, at least, uh, when I was, like, 15 I think um, and and I was out at school too I didn't tell my dad until later but obviously he'd figured it out uh, it was really easy when I told him because it was sort of like yeah uh-huh and but uh, uh, yeah no Anchorage was a surprisingly easy place to be out and we dated and things like that there were boys that were uh, you know similar age going to other schools or or had found their way out of the school system uh, that were, uh, you know, uh, of reasonable dating material. Uh, I do remember one instance where uh, just before I left Anchorage, there were a group of us out to eat. You know, we, one of the things you do in Anchorage is you go to like 24 hour diners because um, that's like all there is to do in Anchorage. And um, this guy walks in and like six of us hid behind our menus at the table and we all looked around at each other and we're like, we've all fucked him. Like, got it. All right. Small, small dating pool. Figured that one out. All right. Time to go. Uh, uh, he was terrible. He had a waterbed too. Jesus. Oh God. Uh, yeah, I had to watch the horse whisperer in order to have sex with him. Oh, it's awful. He thought I wasn't interested. So then like once he figured out that I was, then he flipped it over to porn. I was like, oh, got it. Okay. This could have happened a lot sooner. Fuck. The first time I would really consider having sex, uh, I was, oh God, I don't want to say how old I was. Um, I was an early teenager, mid-teenager, and uh, uh, I met a dude off of the internet. Uh, uh, internet relay chat uh, was a thing, uh, and ages weren't really discussed. Uh, he was definitely an older gentleman. He'd, we had shared pictures. Uh, uh, he was probably early 50s, uh, kind of your average Silver Fox daddy. I remember he smoked a lot, so he had kind of the super growly voice, you know. So I rode my bike to my local coffee shop where he picked me up under the pretense that I was going to fix his sound card on his computer. Because, uh, you know, obviously the young buck must come and fix the old man's computer sort of thing. Uh, so there I was fixing his sound card, which didn't take much. He just needed his drivers updated or something stupid like that. And uh, all of a sudden he's rubbing my shoulders. Uh, uh, and then he's, you know, face down, ass up in bed, telling me to stick it in, uh, which, you know, it was definitely my first time doing that. Uh, but it kind of comes natural, I guess, or at least I'd seen enough porn. I'd, I'd probably watched a lot of porn by that point. He, uh, was at least fairly, uh, uh, uh seasoned in that department. Uh, he, you know, he was, did not offer much resistance as far as sticking it in went. I didn't take too long, I guess, but I, I was able to completely fuck him and come in him and, uh, yeah. Yeah, and then he dropped me back off of my bike. <laughs> uh, 
yeah, so that was definitely like, all right, riding my bike home like that just happened. Mm -hmm. Okay. <laughs> uh, he was some sort of pilot that flew like two weeks in, two weeks out sort of thing. And uh, yeah, just uh, never, never run across him again on the Internet. If I did, it was just cursory sort of chatting. Uh, yeah, that was definitely one of those like that happened and probably isn't going to happen again and probably wouldn't happen again. That's OK. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah, like I'm not sad I just fucked you, but you're definitely like, I know I can I can step my game up a little bit. I mean, there's been bad sex that I've, you know, ended in the middle of and left. But I think the most embarrassing thing is that twice I've barfed on dicks during oral sex. Um, uh, something about eating too much spaghetti before you go down on something, someone. And it was both times it was spaghetti. Uh, so I've learned. I've learned, you know, like, fool me once. haha, -ha, fool me twice. I'm not going to barf on your dick again. <laughs> uh, but uh, it was with. Uh, first with my uh, ex-husband and now uh, with my current husband also uh, they have both gotten barf on the dick um, it's not cute it's not cute it's not cute but they're they were both very forgiving I mean that was probably one of the nicest things my ex-husband ever did was not be horrible when I barfed on his dick um, and, and was also very very kind uh, you know I'm pretty sure they both just said the same thing when it happened which is get the towel. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, uh, that could just be, you know, the way that memory blurs. Um, but uh, yeah, <laughs> definitely the most embarrassing thing. There's, there is zero recovery from that. You know, there is all sorts of things that can happen in sex that you can recover from. But, uh, no, no, everyone's done at that point. I sort of feel like one of those like kind of jack of all trades. Like I'm, I make a decent top. I suck a decent dick. I'm good at receiving head. But like, there's nothing like I'm outstanding at. I guess. Uh, uh, but I definitely like I'm. I'm. I've. I've have a lot of of threesomes. So I think that's probably like successfully navigating a threesome is probably like my greatest skill in the bedroom because they can. I mean, like that's often the most awkward sort of sex is threesomes. But uh, typically they are all smooth sailing when I'm around. I think experience definitely helps like because you kind of get to to understand where the the body language rhythms come in where the habits that people have come in and like understanding the ebb and flow of how sex works and you know when you've got two people feeding off of each other's energy directly it's one experience but when you've got multiple people feeding off of each other's energy it doesn't always completely flow in one direction sort of thing so you kind of got to watch and see like what's being neglected, when does somebody need to like watch more than participate, when is something going on for too long, when is, when do you, how, like how often you have to change positions, when everybody is ready to finish, because then you've got one more person balancing, because nobody wants to come like immediately in the threesome, and then you're just sort of there while the other two are going at it. So, I mean, there's definitely like a skill involved, uh, but it's hard to exactly say, pinpoint what that is. I definitely was having sex before I was out. And as a result, I think we're used to a level of cloak and dagger secrecy to even initiating sex. 
Um, and then we shed that as, you know, we go to San Francisco at 21 and watch people cruise on the street and fuck in a Starbucks bathroom. And you're like, wow, I want to try that. And then it's great. And you have a good time. And then you're like, cool, I'm going to go try the Blow Buddies or I'm going to go to the bathhouse for the first time. Uh, and then you're like, oh, my friends are having a play party. I'm going to try and get invited. And then you have a really good time at that. Like you can just you can you can start to expand your sexual boundaries in a healthy way. At least maybe this is the way it's worked for me. Um, but as far as just the way you kind of pick it up, yeah, cause then it, it sort of continues. Like you find, uh, people that'll want to have sex only, you know, in the dark light off door shut. Um, and you find people that only want to have sex, uh, when they're at the bathhouse and they don't ever have sex outside of that. Like for whatever, whether they've got relationships outside that prevent it or whatnot. Um, we, we are good at compartmentalizing sex, I think, um, because we have compartmentalized ourselves first and then sub that sub compartmentalized our sex from that. So I would definitely tell my younger self to have like just so much more sex. Like really there is no reason to not have it. Um, especially like if you're reasonably safe then and with, with, with prep coming to you in the future, um, it, sex can be a really, really healthy expression. And for a long time, you're probably convinced that it's not a healthy expression, that it's something done, uh, in the dark, in the back, in the hole, in the, you know, away from, from the light. You know, and uh, uh, definitely uh, unlearn that sooner than later. Like, despite having a lot of sex early, like uh, I've managed to still attach a lot of shame to sex over the years, whether that's because uh, my partner at the time had an opinion about sex or the structure of my relationship forced sex into a particular pattern or uh, any number of things, uh, you know, even just sort of, uh, you know, the kind of gay shame that we pick up along the way, you know, and uh, don't always set down so easily. And we're back here with Tom, whose interview you've just listened to. That was something all right. <laughs> First thoughts? Uh, it's interesting that even like over the course of maybe just a year since I recorded that, um, uh, listening to myself talk about sex, I feel like I've even thought about it and talked about it in different ways since, or I caught at one point myself saying that the first time I had sex, uh, was really the first time that I had, you know, anal penetration with somebody, but like I was describing sex with other people before that, but not necessarily calling it sex. One of my first questions is when was the first time you had sex? And one of the most common responses was, how do you define first time? And I think that just as you said, like that changes for us based on who we're talking to and what we're willing to disclose. <laughs> right. Um, because it is a touchy subject for gay men. And it also, it's one that is not often clearly defined because a lot of gay men might suggest that maybe the first time they gave or received oral sex, that was their first time. Or maybe it was the first time they had penetrative anal sex, either giving or receiving. And thinking about definitions, when we talk about our f defining what your first time means versus what you define sex as later is two totally different things. Like I would define the first time I had sex, as I described in the interview, the first time I topped a man. 
now though I define having sex with somebody as uh, interacting with somebody with the intent to try and orgasm with them. So like if I'm jerking somebody off at the bathhouse or you know if I just sucked a dick or if I fisted somebody for the afternoon or any of those things I would define as sex now but I was really clear when asked to define my first time was well that was definitely the first time I stuck a dick in a butt but within the timeline of your life though you had done other things before that yeah definitely i definitely had a dick in my mouth and my hand before you know i had this date with this guy just to explicitly fuck him yeah you and i have similar backgrounds in that we both experimented with with public cruising in our early stages and i i agree with you like i don't really consider those under the banner of of sex in in the traditional sense like maybe also for me it was because of their location <laughs> like i also want to think of sex as being in a venue where you can have some intimacy and privacy and and feel free to like do whatever you want to do um in your own little venue <laughs> so like when i was fooling around in bathrooms and stuff i didn't ever really think it was sex sex because we couldn't really have access to the full menu of options right and so that's sort of like i guess is it a restaurant if it's fast food versus <laughs> do you have to have a waiter and a menu you know, or are you, is casual dining still dining? Like, you know, um, there's so many definitions of dining, right? If I eat an ass in a bathroom versus eating an ass in my dorm room, like is one sex and is not the other not sex. Uh, so it was, it's, it's been interesting to change my mind about what sex means. But I think it's interesting that the later in life, the more wider definition of sex you have. <laughs> Right, and I, I expected my definition to narrow. That's what I would assume, too. Uh, and maybe it's just because I have more sex as I get older, which I didn't expect. I kind of all thought it would slow down. But uh, spoiler alert, your sex life does not have to slow down. And in fact, like fine wine can only get better with age. Right, because you know what you're doing. And you know that you really don't want to have to watch The Horse Whisperer before you start. <laughs> I love that story. I think we've all been through that experience where, like, all right, um, I'm doing this, I'm watching this thing, I'm going to dinner, but is this really going to lead to any kind of booty? Right, right. <laughs> um, and I've had the flip side experience too, where like I've been on a movie date where the movie was so good that I didn't want somebody to start getting sexual with me. <laughs> um, but rarely anymore will I suffer through a bad movie for dick. I'll just get straight <laughs> to the dick. I, I won't put up with it. <laughs> We had a heavy focus in that interview on things in Seattle that disappeared inadvertently. You I was know? thinking about that. Uh, the Hard Rock Cafe, uh, where people enjoy their uh, spicy rock and roll burgers, um, is where, uh, yeah, many a penis was touched by other people. Uh, the 25-cent peep arcade in downtown Seattle. Down the street was Taboo Video, um, which had glory holes and was a good place to take advantage of some guys working in the offices upstairs during their lunch breaks. Uh, and you know, there's, uh, all sorts of places for cruising in Seattle are just gone, whether they were places that had bathrooms or were adult bookstores or. Right. Wasn't the Lost Lake Cafe Comet Tavern, uh, corner in Capitol Hill. Wasn't that once, uh, what was it? Blow Buddies or Steamworks? No, it or... was a uh, basic plumbing Basic plumbing. I knew it had some sort of plumbing 
right. metaphor. I, I like sex clubs. I, I kind of wish that they were more updated and brought into this century. So many of them feel as though they haven't really been uh, renovated since the 70s. And it doesn't add to, like, it doesn't invite you when those are the environments. No, um, but I feel like our culture is ready for them to make a comeback because of the apps and often the hesitancy for people to want to meet up in their homes. And I've found that traveling outside of America, uh, the bathhouses of Paris were definitely nicer than the ones I've encountered oh. in America. And and Germany, forget about it. You can eat off the floor oh of my a God. bathhouse in Germany. Oh, I can't wait to try. Um, <laughs> Berlin had one of the cleanest bathhouses I've ever seen. And I'll have to say, it really did add to my enjoyment. I think everyone's comfort level uh, increases when it's less creepy. Uh, and the more comfortable everyone is, the better sex everyone has. Right. One thing I've learned going to sex clubs over the years is that if you enter them expecting the best sex of your life, you're more than likely going to be disappointed. Like, it's really just an environment for enjoying yourself around people who you're potentially attracted to and that you might be able to have sex. But if you have this high expectation going into the situation, like you're probably going to have a worse time than if you were just going there expecting to maybe get off. As you get older, you learn to realize that sometimes you can't even put expectations on yourself. Mm -hmm. Your erections may not be perfect forever. <laughs> uh, and so realizing that, you know, there's, there's a gray area where sex can be bad and it can be out of your control. Uh, so you've got to remove the expectations when, when so many things can go wrong and there's so many things are out of your control. So entering any sexual engagement with, without expectations increases your chances of having a better time. That's so true. And I think that's something we learn by getting older, <laughs> decrease our expectations. Right. Getting older and getting off less is how we learn. That. Uh, you, you, yeah, you have to work harder to get off more. <laughs> And the sex clubs are surprisingly a place to um, hone your threesome skills. That allows you in those sex clubs to, you know, take on more than one guy at a time or, you know, not feel like you can't wave that hot guy that's watching and jerking off over uh, to join in or the two or three guys that are looking, um, you know. So that the, the sex clubs are definitely a place where you can increase your group sex experience. This is probably a good time for me to bring up a somewhat touchy subject and one that we'll also touch on with my interview that we're about to listen to. And that is underage cruising. And I just want to acknowledge the fact that you and I both participated in it. I, I mean, I'll be honest when I did it and we'll hear this in my, my, my interview next it was at a time in my life where I knew no other gay people and part of cruising was also just part of wanting to meet other gay people, even though it was under somewhat shameful circumstances. Um, it was reassuring to know that there were other gay people. And, you know, it's different for me. I wasn't looking to make friends. Like, I didn't think of these as gay people, mostly because yeah. I could see wedding rings. I knew that they they were married, you know. Yeah. Uh, and so I just saw them as dicks. Um, and I think that that 
that allowed me to never think of them as doing something wrong. Right. And that's the interesting thing that comes out of this is that while I have no shame on my own behavior, I don't know how those people felt. I don't know how the 35 plus year old guy who worked at the shoe store felt about, you know, sucking off a 14 year old every other day. Um, Yes. That to me is the core of my inner conflict, knowing that I was underage and there were older men who didn't have that age differential as a boundary. That is where my main conflict comes. And I don't know what to say about it other than that I was a willing participant. Even though I was underage, I knew that they were older than me. I'm not putting myself in the same situation looking for a 13-year-old in a mall bathroom. Right. I'm, I mean, I'm definitely still into older guys and daddies, so there's that problem. But, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, if, if I were to see that teenager cruising, I would, like, write off that cruising spot and go somewhere else. I'm yeah. Like, so I definitely know that that informed me and in how I wanted to treat other people. But I never – I didn't hold a judgment for those guys that – in other people's eyes, took advantage of me because I never felt took advantage of. I know there's probably about a million other things that I would like to say about the situation. (laughs) Um, We can talk a little bit more about it after my interview, but I did just want to bring it up uh, just because you and I both had such similar adolescent experiences. Um, And now I'm really excited to listen to yours. (laughs) Well, let's go ahead and do that, and then we can talk more about that same subject after my interview. Fruitful is proud to support the AMP, AIDS Memorial Pathway in Seattle, a passionate group of volunteers and community leaders, including people living with HIV, people of color, and members of the LGBTQIA community have begun work on the AMP. Set to open in 2020, the pathway will be located on the plaza near Seattle's Capitol Hill Light Rail Station and the north edge of Cal Anderson Park. The AMP is community-driven and collaboratively funded and will use public art to create a physical place for remembrance and reflection, utilize technology to share stories about the epidemic and the diverse community responses to the crisis, and provide a call to action to end HIV-AIDS stigma and discrimination. The AMP is currently seeking volunteers to help with promotion, collect stories, and fundraising efforts. For more information, visit theamp.org. My name is David, I'm 45, and I'm originally from Kansas. The first time I ever heard about sex was from a babysitter's boyfriend who convinced me that you could have sex through your fingertips. And he showed me his fingers, and for some reason the tips of his fingers were calloused, and so I believed him. I thought that that's what happened when you had sex, was that you got calluses on your fingertips. And I believed that for a few years after that, um, until my dad finally didn't necessarily have the talk with me, but he gave me a pamphlet about sex from the Christian perspective, and they went into the more of the mechanics, which which helped clarify things. Um, it also went on to describe uh, masturbation, which I actually had not known about until I read about it in the pamphlet. And uh, I remember putting the pamphlet down and proceeding to masturbate and being completely fascinated that something other than urine could come out of uh, my penis. 
So I started doing that quite a bit after that. Yeah, I became kind of a habitual masturbator, but I don't know if I was any more habitual about it than any other young, horny guy, straight or gay. When I was in grade school, I had some obsessions with like rock bands. Um, one of them being Duran Duran. I loved Duran Duran. I thought they were amazing. And I also thought, I mean, looking back, I, I clearly thought that they were beautiful, um, like really good looking. So what I would do is I would go to uh, uh, Musicland at the Town East Mall in Wichita, and I would buy my sister posters of rock bands, one of them being Duran Duran, and then I would give them to her so that she could hang them in her bedroom so that I could look at them. Because <laughs> I think I knew even at that young age that it was wrong that I would have a, a, a poster of a male band in my bedroom. I knew that that was somehow outside the bounds of acceptability in terms of what a young man would have on his walls in his bedroom, which is kind of crazy because my mom actually let me um, wallpaper my bedroom in rainbows because I was obsessed with rainbows and teddy bears and unicorns. So yeah, so I would give my sister band posters to put on a wall. The, the, <laughs> The funniest thing that happened was when uh, I decided that the band, whole band poster thing wasn't enough. So I actually bought her, <laughs> it was so embarrassing. I bought her a poster of the Solo Flex guy. Solo Flex was this uh, at home exercise system that you could get. And their poster, their, their advertising campaign was famous for having this sexy picture of this guy who is like lifting a shirt up off of his bare chest. And of course, he had the most perfect kind of physique. And it was kind of an iconic image of the 80s, um, so much so that they had posters of it at the mall. So once I bought my sister that poster for her to hang in her bedroom, because... <laughs> I wanted to look at it. Um, and years later, when I came out to my sister, she gave me the poster back. <laughs> my parents owned a cabin in Colorado, and we would go there in the summertime, and there wasn't much to do. I had a good friend who lived down the street, so we didn't have TV. Um, well, we did, but it didn't really work very well. So we had to really occupy ourselves by just sort of exploring around uh, area around my parents' cabin. And my friend Aaron and I found a penthouse magazine that was hidden under a rock and it had weathered pages and, and the rain had sort of like stuck different pages together, but we could kind of tear them apart enough that we could read the articles and look at the pictures. And one of the articles was, of course, the penthouse forum, which I was completely fascinated by people writing in to to confess different uh, scenarios of what they had done with their partners or with strangers. Um, so that was definitely like the beginning of my education into kink and understanding what that meant. Um, like it was only one issue that we could look at. So we read it over and over and over again. <laughs> and we, we hit it in the same place too, so that we each of us would come back and read it separately. 
Um, I definitely remember like masturbating out in the woods at least once because have from having read like the articles and stuff. But I think one of the letters mentioned that uh, this woman had had sex with like an entire firehouse of guys, like a, a, a whole fire station full of uh, firefighters, which I thought was totally uh, hot at the time. I think around my freshman year of high school, I started to admit to myself that I was gay. I used to love dancing in my bedroom. Like it was the one thing I did that I felt completely uh, free and non, not judged by anybody. And I'll never forget there was a time at which I was doing that and I stopped dancing and I looked at myself in the mirror and I said, you're gay, you are a gay man. Um, and I think that that was when I started to kind of shift my perspective um, from being somebody who was in the closet, who was in complete uh, shame, and to somebody who I could see maybe a future where I could kind of accept myself. Later on in high school, I subscribed to GQ magazine. And I think everyone who subscribed to GQ also got an automatic subscription to International Mail because um, it just started arriving without any sort of subscription on my part. So um, we did start to get that. And that was around the time that I started to admit to myself that I was uh, gay. I started to look forward to the International Mail catalog more than GQ. The main reason being the underwear models that were in the back of the magazine. And, you know, it was divided kind of evenly between somewhat normal clothing and underwear. Um, and eventually they spun it off and had an entire separate catalog for the underwear, which for me was amazing because I couldn't have asked for better spank material in high school, um, given that I was in Kansas and I wasn't really near any kind of gay porn outlet. So what I would do eventually, because I knew that keeping the magazines would have been too obvious if I'd have kept them stored someplace, it would have been too obvious. So what I did was I started to cut out my favorite pictures of the different underwear models and save them in a manila envelope and hid it underneath my dresser in my bedroom. And so I would have this collection of just different little cutout clippings of the different guys in mesh underwear. It was really cheesy underwear. Um, so yeah, I think years later, I, I remember coming back from college and finding the manila envelope and thinking that most certainly my mom must have found it at some point and looked inside of it. So I was really embarrassed that it was still there after all those years. Having worked on this, you'd think I would have prepared for this more, but I think it's also just hard to talk about, and I'm realizing it mm -hmm. now how hard it is, and I'm kind of like amazed that people have even agreed to do this for me. <laughs> I learned about gay sex mostly through cruising bathrooms in the mall near my hometown in Wichita, Kansas. That's why I'm kind of, it's hard for me to articulate when the first time is because you could argue that my first time was when I was sitting in the stall in the public bathroom of Town East Mall in Wichita, Kansas, that I realized that the guy sitting in the stall next to me was was masturbating. 
and I didn't just get up and leave or, you know, like I knew that I liked that and that I was completely fascinated by the fact that somebody would do that in public and also kind of flattered that he was doing it near me. So I think it was around that time that I started to realize that I was gay because I didn't just get up and leave in 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 anger. I was I was kind of um, flattered by it um, and also completely turned on in the sense that it was kind of dangerous and it was in a place that was totally public and not at all in a remote location. So that was sort of the beginning of my investigation into public sex. What eventually ended up happening was that it wasn't enough to just jerk off next to somebody in a public stall. There was one stall where there had been somebody who had written their phone number on the wall. And I wrote it down and called the guy. And we had like very brief conversation. Um, and as it turns out, I was actually about to leave to go to my parents' cabin in the in Colorado days after I had called him and we had chatted. So he asked me to write him a letter <laughs> and explain to him where it was I was going in Colorado, which to me right now, it just sounds completely ludicrous that I would have agreed to do this. So I described to him where I was and also what the phone number was to my parents' cabin there and what times he could call me. And basically we, we arranged for him to drive nine hours from Wichita to meet me near my parents' cabin in Colorado so that we could have sex, <laughs> which just seems completely psycho. Um, somebody I'd never met before agreed to do this. Um, so he did. He, he got there. We met through a completely preposterous uh, set of sort of plans. I mean, pre-iPhone, pre-smartphone, pre-anything, pre-internet, the fact that we arranged to do this at a specific time and date to me is still pretty mind-blowing. So, and I had never ever seen him um, until I got to this, this trailhead where uh, we had agreed to meet. And by the time he got there, I was like so worked up and so excited about it that I couldn't I couldn't contain myself. And the sad part is that like when I finally saw him, I wasn't at all attracted to him. Back then I had certain physical expectations for my first time. Clearly I was like completely um, seduced by the whole Marky Mark, solo flex, perfect physique kind of, kind of guy. And that's sort of at the time what I uh, idealized. Now I have a completely different uh, priorities, set of priorities. Um, actually don't really have a type but um at the time i had a, I had completely fantasized about this perfect male physique and he didn't have it and there was no way that he could really uh fulfill any of my idealized versions of what i wanted so um we walked a little bit on the trail together and made small talk i just wanted to run away but i also didn't want to be a complete dick but then so then we finally found a like a remote spot off of the trail and he started to go to his knees to blow me and I just ended up running away just just ran and I had actually walked to the trailhead so um I just kept running and uh I don't ever think that he caught up with me I think that maybe he knew that he could just he just needed to let me 
leave. <laughs> but looking back, I mean, it was so cruel and and awkward and a little bit painful thinking about. And it's probably why I don't like really talking about it. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, I was a freaked out kid. Um, looking back, I, it does sound like kind of a dickish move to just run away. But at the time, I think looking back, I, I am more forgiving of my behavior just because of the complete newness of it and the, the awkward nature of not knowing what it meant to be intimate with another person, even a male or a female. I hadn't even been with a woman by that time. So yeah, I was just scared. In the parks in Wichita, there was a huge cruising culture um, that I eventually discovered. And, and that was kind of the next step past uh, public restroom cruising in, in Wichita. The, the sort of next logical step from there was, was public parks. And I think it was there that I eventually started to experiment with other guys. And, and that was a little less frightening because I had a car, I could drive, I had a safe space. I could I could leave whenever I wanted to drive away. Yeah, there must have been at some point somebody in a bathroom who who I had uh, oral sex with. It's kind of sad though that I don't remember who that person is or what they look like <laughs> because like I think so much of that culture there was about anonymity and not wanting people to know who you were or what you were doing specifically. So I think I kind of internalized that. So yeah, I would cruise the parks in Wichita, and for a while it was fun just because it was sort of uh, illicit, but eventually I, I, that sort of started to wear off and I, I wasn't so interested in the, the fear factor, and I really did want to meet somebody. So one day I was driving through the park, maybe I had started to not do it as often, but I just decided to go through one day, and um, there was a kid who was there with a girl who was clearly my age and uh, he was dancing and I thought okay I'm going to get out of my car and I'm going to go talk to this person because I'm sick of not ever connecting with anybody I, I remember specifically that telling myself and daring myself to do it so I did and it ended up being pretty cool he was my age he was in high school I think we were in the same class, not the same school, but the same year. And uh, his girlfriend was a great kind of facilitator and, and a mediator between us um, and made it less uncomfortable and less creepy, cruisy, just because they looked like they were just hanging out in the park with each other. Um, and it wasn't so much about cruising for sex as it was just about hanging out. So I, I just went up to them and started talking. And um, I think we agreed to meet um, to go on a date. And my first date with him was to go see uh, Truth or Dare at the Dollar Theater in Wichita, which was sort of like the second run theater. And the cool thing was that fortunately nobody else was in the theater. So my first date with a guy ever was going to see Truth or Dare in Wichita, Kansas in an empty theater. And so like we could hold hands and I could put my arm around him and it actually felt like I could see what my potential future was and it wasn't as terrible as I thought it was going to be. <laughs> so I started to have a lot more 
optimism after that. This was just before I graduated. So, you know, I had sort of endured a pretty traumatic coming out process in, in high school. So it was, it was just the right timing in terms of making me understand that maybe the future wasn't going to be a complete shit show. <laughs> so yeah, that was good. It is curious though, because I, I remember going to the movie with him, but I don't actually remember having sex with him. <laughs> I had a good girlfriend in college who wanted me to meet her gay friend that she had grown up with. And he came into town with his boyfriend at the time. And I'd never experienced love at first sight, but when I met this guy, I instantly fell in love with him. I have no idea why. Um, he wasn't even really my type and he wasn't like traditionally attractive. There was just something about him that had a really good energy. And I proceeded to get shit-faced drunk, so drunk that I couldn't even like function later that night. It was actually kind of a little bit scary. And I'll never forget like him and my friend taking me back to my apartment and putting me in bed. And right before he left, I just threw up all over the bed. And it was like the most humiliating thing ever. <laughs> but the funniest part was that after that, we ended up, he, he actually dumped his boyfriend and we dated for like the last half of my senior year. So I guess there was something about me vomiting all over my bed that he found attractive. <laughs> so that was pretty embarrassing. There's lots I like to do in bed. I don't consider myself a top or a bottom. Um, and you know, I do think it depends on your partner, what they like. And, and one of the things I've discovered I like to do most is fuck a guy while he's on his back. Um, and usually it's when I'm standing on the side of the bed and he's laying on his back. So I like to start that way. I'm supporting his, his legs as I fuck him. Right. And so we sort of do that for a while, but you know, I feel like sometimes things get a little bit boring. So what I like to do is throw one of his legs to the side so that he's actually laying on his side and I'm still fucking him. And so I think that that shift in position, I get the, the idea that a lot of bombs like that. So I do that for a while and then I'll flip him so that he's on his stomach. So the whole time my dick is still inside of him and he's basically being spun around <laughs> and I didn't really think that it would work until the first time I tried it and then it did and uh, it seemed to be that I got a pretty good response so that's probably my best move. Go and, and explore as much as you can. Do it in a way that you feel comfortable but don't feel inhibited at all by what other people think or what society tells you you should or shouldn't do. You should just go out and explore your sexuality in, a, in the most uh, complete way that you can. And it shouldn't matter what other people think is right or wrong. You should just kind of explore um, and feel free to do that because that's how you start to realize what you like and what you don't like. Go out and 
fuck as much as you want. Do it in a way that you feel safe, but don't feel scared to try new things. Kink is something that should be embraced and not judged. I think I wasted a lot of time judging people and what they did. Um, I mean, I let go of that a long time ago. I think living in New York really helped that. Um, I started to see different cultures and different parts of the gay community. Um, and I realized how much diversity there was and how awesome that was. And I, I think that that's something that the gay community should really embrace is how different gay sex is to different people. And instead of it just being the missionary position all the time, I mean, I, I honestly feel like gay sex is the best kind of sex. It sounds funny saying that because clearly sex has a procreative uh, purpose, but I actually think that gay sex is the most fun because you're with somebody who has the same equipment as you do and you know what feels good and what doesn't. So I kind of feel like that's to our advantage. I think when I was young, because I did have so many uh, encounters with people anonymously, I assumed that that made me a slut. I judged myself a lot as a kid. And I think that as an adult, I can see how experimenting with different people is actually a good thing and it's not a bad thing. Like now, I, I don't necessarily think that people who have sex with a lot of different people are sluts. I think that that makes them actually liberated and it makes them brave because they just do what they want to do and they don't have any um, judgment of themselves and they really don't care what other people think. And to me, that is the most radical thing that anybody, any of us can do is to just embrace our sexuality and, and express it however we want to. I mean, that's why I think people who are pups or who are into leather or any of that kink are amazing because they know that they have the right to do that and they don't really care what other people think. I think that that's amazing. But yeah, as far as my own personal kink, I actually I'm not I like leather. <laughs> that seems so vanilla. I mean, living in Seattle, I do love Seattle because so many people here embrace their kink and they they express it openly. Uh, I used to live in L.A. and it's that town is is very much about presenting yourself in a very acceptable sort of boring way so i really like living in seattle and knowing that people here just really don't give a shit i don't think i could have made this documentary in la i was thinking about that the other day uh, i think people in la would not have been as honest with me they would have been too worried that other people that they knew would see it and judge them people here just don't they don't care as much and and i love that I am excited by that. And I think that, yeah, like I said, I don't, that's why I'm making the documentaries because there's so many people here who are open and honest about their sexuality and they don't apologize for it. And that's awesome. Okay, we're back. I immediately chuckled because I'm sure your babysitter just played guitar, but I love that he convinced you that those calluses were some sort of like sex power. <laughs> and really those 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 fingertip calluses are awful for sex also. <laughs> no one likes a rough hand job. Right? <laughs> I'm glad you were able to discern that that was not how sex occurred. 
Me too, but it was years before I was convinced that. I, I thought that he was telling me the truth. And, and that your pamphlet just wasn't complete? <laughs> no, once I once I read the pamphlet, I was, I was good to go. I was like, okay, he was pulling my leg. I liked that immediately you masturbated after you found out it was a possibility. You're like, I didn't know this thing did this. <laughs> it's true. I didn't know. Uh, I think I might have had one wet dream before learning about masturbation and how to do it. And maybe I was freaked out by what had happened, but I don't think I told my parents about it. Can't imagine actually dialing a phone number I read on the wall of a bathroom stall. That right. was so exciting. Now I'm, I am picturing that nine hour drive from, from Kansas to Colorado. And uh, yeah, I can imagine that return drive had some blue balls for that guy. <laughs> The idea that he would make that drive just for that one hookup. That should have been a red flag right there. No. Well, and it tells you that he was probably similarly desperate for a connection. It's interesting that you mentioned the connection bringing you optimism when you finally found what you deemed a boyfriend or someone to date um, that you met at the park. Uh, yeah. I remember that period in my life coming with... Uh, probably some of the worst mental illness that I've had at any point in my life. Like I was more depressed as a young teen figuring out my sexuality than at any other time in my life. That connection turning into optimism. It's surprisingly a huge revelation at that age. Yes. And I think that given our previous uh, conversation about underage sex and, and older men in, in uh, hookup situations. Clearly, it's wrong. It's wrong that older men would take advantage of younger men, especially when I look back and think about how vulnerable I was and how desperately I wanted to just connect with somebody, either on an emotional level or a sexual one. I just wanted to know that I would be okay. And the fact that very few of these men would articulate it like that and wanted only to just have sex that that makes me really sad right it's this weird mixture of feelings where you're trying not to judge yourself you're trying not to judge the other people that participate in these things with you there's no positive to this being our first pursuit of sex as gay people right um we don't we don't benefit from this in a unique and special way i don't think um, that we wouldn't have gained by a, a, a normal Love, Simon, cutesy <laughs> dating approach to figuring out our sexuality. Right. Well, not that wasn't an option for us uh, growing up, or at least it wasn't for me where I was. I wish it would have been the, the Love, Simon scenario, meeting a person of my same age in high school. I did finally meet somebody who, who was the same age as me and that I consider my first boyfriend. But before we met, I was hooking up with older men. Looking back, I don't feel particularly traumatized by the age differential. I'm mostly sad that none of them were willing to sort of talk to me because I think that's probably what I wanted most. And by doing this podcast, in a way, I'm trying to sort of help out anyone out there who is in the same position I was, which is that I just needed information. <laughs> when you're having the conversations you wished you had. Yes, I am. And so I hope that young people today don't feel so alone. 
and they don't feel as desperate and put in a position where the only opportunity they have to connect with somebody else who's queer is through a sexual situation. I don't feel victimized personally by my experiences of having had sex underage. I guess I'm sad that the conditions are there for other people to have been victimized. Right. And so that environment is not healthy for that reason alone. Still today, it's hard for me to only look back on that time in my life as a negative because it wasn't. The truth is that it allowed me to find other gay people who lived in my hometown. And no, they weren't out, and I didn't really have conversations with them, but at least on a very basic level, I knew that there were other gay people. That was reassuring to me as a kid. I I don't know how else to articulate it, but it was. Well, and I think we both agree that experimenting is a good thing. I think we would just love to be able to encourage future generations to do it more safely than we did. Young people today are more comfortable seeking out advice from professionals and adults who who have the their best intentions in mind. And that's that's awesome. I right. wish I had had that when I was younger. Young people today have an environment with a whole lot less shame centered around the experience of being gay, regardless of almost where you are in the country anymore. Yeah. We've seen a kind of a big tectonic shift in the attitude towards uh, queer folks. And you talk a little bit about how experimenting is a good thing. I definitely agree. Uh, But I have to say, I've tried experimenting with your move since (laughs) you first told me about it during our my interview. Uh, you mentioned that you could do this flip maneuver where you can stay inside somebody and like, that's a puzzle of legs on that third flip. Like I get the, I get the back, I get the second maneuver, but it's the third maneuver. I don't know where my legs go or their legs go, but I've had to pull out every time. So you're definitely doing something there that I haven't mastered yet. So, well, I think I've only managed to keep my dick in them a few times and it would probably have to be someone who's on the smaller size like mm. and also more limber that's my problem my guys are huge <laughs> you guys so. have you have the big guys yeah big booties do not make this easy and they don't talk about that in general sometimes like you you can't stick to two positions right you've got to figure out because sometimes physicality like i'm short the number of guys that have gotten on their knees on a bed for me and just expect me to be able to stick it in it's like that's about chest height on me there fella uh oh i think my my move is is it's helped with me standing on the floor while my partner's on the bed. Yeah, so like that that would help. Like I have to put them on their bellies with feet on the floor <laughs> in order for me to reach the hole without a steppy stool. Okay, um, I see what you're saying. Yeah, maybe also, maybe you can get an apple box like what they use yeah, in film production. Yeah, or platform <laughs> shoes have helped. Um, yeah, that's always sexy. Yeah. Platform shoes. Well, I feel like. That has been a real eye opener for me doing this project and talking with people about sex and about their histories um, in a very formal interview way. And that it's easier to talk about other people having sex than it is about our own personal preferences and what we do in the bedroom. That that is uh, often off limits. And it's, yeah, something people feel insecure about, maybe even a little bit of shame 
or a lot of shame. But uh, that's one reason why I'm doing this project is so that we can kind of come out of the dark and, and sort of talk about our sex lives in a free way. Dig around in the fruit bowl and enjoy some sex. Right. So thank you, Tom, for taking time and uh, being my co-host for this episode. This was fantastic. I appreciated being able to listen to my interview again, <laughs> awkward as it was. And also thanks for all your help with the project as a whole. Uh, it's been amazing working with you, and I'm looking forward to releasing the whole series to the world. Absolutely. Fingers crossed we'll have season two. All right. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next time. Thank you. Fruit Bowl is a production of Fruit Bowl Media. All rights reserved. Check out fruitbowlpodcast.com to find out more about the project. Thanks for listening. <laughs>